0: to Writers' Ted to with Elizabeth Harris, the show that connects authors, songwriters and poets with their global audience. So I can continue to bring you high calibre guests, so I invite you to go to iTunes, click subscribe, leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. I am delighted to introduce the charismatic and dashing Professor Roland Perry. Professor Perry began his career as a journalist for the Age newspaper in Melbourne. After five years in England making documentary films, his first novel, Program for a Puppet, was published in 1979. This international bestseller was translated into eight languages. Educated at Scotch College, Melbourne, Professor Perry has an economics degree from Monash University. His awards include the Frederick Blackham Exhibition Prize in Journalism at Melbourne University, 1969, the prestigious Fellowship of Australian Writers National Literary Award for Nonfiction, 2004, with Monash, the outsider who won a war and Cricket Biography of the Year, 2006, from the UK Cricket Society for Miller's Luck, a biography of all-rounder Keith Miller. In 2011, Professor Perry was made a fellow of Monash University. For his service to literature, he was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia. Monash University bestowed a professorship on him in October 2012. Professor Perry is the university's first writer-in-residence, lecturing PhDs and PhD aspirants on all aspects of writing and Australian history. He also teaches writing classes at Presbyterian Ladies College, Melbourne's gifted education program. I'm thrilled to announce that today we'll be featuring Professor Perry's 30th book, Celeste, a biography of the strikingly beautiful woman who, despite her early challenges, rose above poverty and abuse. To become a countess. Professor Roland Perry, welcome to Writers Tete Tete with Elizabeth Harris.
1: Thank you very much, Elizabeth Harris.
0: You are most welcome. Roland, we first met at your book launch for your magnificent book, Celeste. It was such a fun night, complete with a brilliant performance of the Can Can by dancers from the Edge Performance School in Eltham.
1: Not me. I'd love to have been up there, but I I can't Oh, you
0: should have joined them, Ronald.
1: They were beautiful.
0: You were interviewed by the delightful actress Natalie Heslop, and of course the irrepressible pioneer Mira, owner of Eltham Bookshop here in Victoria, Australia, hosted the evening. Please tell my listeners about your latest book, Celeste.
1: Yes, well, you started off by saying that she was strikingly beautiful and she was a courtesan in Paris, she started life. Uh, had a bad start because she had two abusive stepfathers: one that beat her mother up in Paris, and another who tried to rape her and probably was successful. It's very hard to tell from the tell from the uh, memoirs. So uh, this isn't a good start. She ended up on the street, running away from the second stepfather mm. because of his abuse. And the mother, interestingly enough, which is very rare in a way, she sided with the lover because extremely he was the breadwinner. Mm, extremely disappointing. Mm. Very bad. And this upset her, as would anyone, that your mother abandoned you or a man that's trying to rape you, whether you're a male or female, that'd be pretty rough. Mm. So she ends up in the streets, meets a prostitute. The prostitute and she are then caught by the police. The police put them both uh, in, or put her in a prison, a famous uh, prison in Paris. And there she meets another woman who has a lesbian affair with her. And he says, when you get out of this, your stepfather will still treat you badly when you go back. She's predicting that. I think she knows males very well. This girl was uh, only 16, and and Celeste was younger. And this happened to be true, and the woman had said, um, when you get out, come to a brothel. It'll be much more exciting. You'll meet really rich men and so forth there. So she fell for that, and and did visit this person, and... uh, and she said, right, come to the brothel and the brothel. She was, in, for one year, in a, in a French brothel. And she dreamt of meeting someone from the upper class. She used to go to the theatre. She was really loved the theatres in the boulevards where she lived and where she lived. Used to go to the afternoon matinees, just adored all that. And she would see these beautiful men in their beautiful carriages with their beautiful women and arriving at the theatre and so forth. And so she said, I want a bloke like that, essentially. French don't use the word bloke, but... Uh, <laughs> she said, "I want a enormous comme ça. So she um, she was dazzled by that, and of course she did meet many of the upper class in the brothel, but they weren't nice to her. No, they were abusive they in another way. Yeah. They were condescending and patronising, and treated them a bit like meat.
0: Mm. It wasn't
1: particularly a good experience for her. Particularly, a very famous poet called Du who was a lover of someone called George Sharnes, it's a female George, who was a famous writer at the time and poet, and he'd been rejected by her, so he went to the brothel and would abuse all the all the prostitutes there. Not physically, but mentally, he mm. would be very verbal with them. And Celeste copped a bit of this and She stood up to
0: him though, didn't
1: she? She did, as she fantastic. handled him pretty well. Song. Yeah, ah. one of the things I found now that people say, how did you get all this information? Well, she wrote five and there's sort of maybe six sets of memoirs. Now, six. I had access to the five. Oh. I haven't bothered to look at the six set, which have come out in the last year because they're only very late in their life and only been repeats. Can, mm. I, can, I, can I ask how you gained
0: access to those? Because it's really easy. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. Very easy. <laughs> yeah, look, it's been an easy book on one level. Um, you can go to all the libraries in France and you've got the, some of the uh, one or two of the books that you wrote in, in the, the Trobe Library in Melbourne have been there for hundred years. Uh, hundred years, that's right. Um, and and uh, But a lot of them have been published in French and a couple have been translated. So you have sources of, not all of them, and you can't, if you rely on one, say you've got the American edition, the French translation, look out. There's nothing on Australia in it.
0: Can, can um, you read Franklin?
1: Yes. What? badly. <laughs> no, I, I can read it with a dictionary. And, and uh, are you fluent? And I, uh, no, 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 no. But I I used, I did do some of the translation myself because I wasn't sure on the meaning and I wanted to go through it myself and then talk to a top translator who happens to live in Thailand, a French woman, so that was useful. Okay. And she's a, a really a top translator there. And I acknowledge her in the, in the book as well because it was very helpful because we'd really mull over the meaning of you know, a cost or rape or okay. abuse. Would you like or to, to
0: mention her name
1: now? Uh, I don't think we should do that. No. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I have a good relationship with her, but I don't think she'd appreciate it necessarily. Sure. Um, so, so you said you printed her in the book, so I wonder. Well, no, to I, did, oh, you're I, I did. I did yeah. acknowledge her in the book. Okay. So yeah. you know, she she gets an acknowledgement there, okay. but you've got that gives you access all the time to uh, the material, so you do it yourself you get hold of translations, you go into libraries, you get the English version of them. This is the problem, though. The English versions are sometimes very bad versions of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then if the, an American translates, you get big chunks left out that might be of interest to you. Mm-hmm. If a French person translates, you're going to get other bits that aren't interesting mm. or that are interesting to you that are not in there. And the whole Australian section is, is very badly handled. And okay. so uh, I was fascinated by that. And it turned out, by the luck of the Draw that the Australian connection was absolutely vital to her life. This is mm-hmm. not gilded at all. In fact, I thought, how am I going to squeak, make the Australian interesting? You know, the Australian bit interesting. It didn't work out that way at all. So uh, that was about it. So the source material was too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've got five sets of memoirs all running to eighty thousand words and you've mm-hmm. got to go through them all, I didn't mm-hmm. go through them all because some of them were repetitive and didn't need to. Mm. Um, You've got too much, and she was a dramatist, we haven't come to that part in the story of course. But she ended up a writer, so whenever she wrote anything it was over the top sometimes. Mm. And you had to par back some of the commentary because it was just too dramatic. However, she had integrity, and you can work that out by checking the things that were going on around her and that she commented on. So there are ways and means, and I've got a lot of experience at looking at work and thinking, is this person giving us the truth? I think on about two occasions, maybe she, it was just an error on her part on one and the other part I thought she was gilding it a bit. But mm-hmm. otherwise, it was frighteningly honest about herself and her partner, the one mm-hmm. she married eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's... You know, if she loves a man and then tells you what his real foibles were, <laughs> that's quite exceptional. Most exactly. people hide those things, especially if they're still in love, even if they're dead, if they're in love with them. They don't tell you, you know, that he was... Um,
0: it does show integrity,
1: does it? He picked his nose, for example. They won't <laughs> tell you that.
0: <laughs> that's a brilliant book and I enjoyed, certainly enjoyed it. Mm. Roland, you've written so many books, 30 in all, including 16 biographies. How do you decide what to write about?
1: Yes, I was thinking about that one. Um, first of all, you've got to feel something for the book. I'm not on a hire, all right? I don't publish as... I've taken about two. I may take a third commission that's been dangled in front of me. Of the 30 books, so 10% people, publishers have come to me. Publishers often come to me many times a year. I'll get an offer or some. So it's beginning to fade now because I know I've, I, have my own agenda of books. Mm-hmm. So occasionally a publishers come and, and put forward sort of a really good idea that I felt that I could cope with and wanted to. You've got to get every, up every day, Elizabeth, and face it. And if you don't feel enthused, there is no point. Exactly. In bothering it, because you can always do something else that's going to earn you as much and so forth. It's not a matter of money, it's a matter of how you want to uh, approach life if, you, if you're bored with this by a subject. I got offered a seven-figure sum eventually, they kept putting the figure up, for a sports biography, not by an Australian, an Australian by an American. I'm smiling. And they, they got in touch with <laughs> Bradman, who was one of my subjects, and said, can you get to him? And Don got in touch with me and said, look, you know." A figure kept going up through a middleman, and I just couldn't face the subject. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought, A, I wasn't impressed with the person, and the sport was not impressed. Me. Well,
0: that shows your integrity, doesn't well, it? Well, it does,
1: but there was also some madness there. I wondered why they were so keen to get a book out hmm. in a bit of a rush and hmm. uh, like this. And it turned out there was being a nasty uh, biography that was being written about the guy, and he wanted a PR one. Oh. Now, I'm not into doing other people. I won't do that. I won't have PR and lawyers hanging over, I just won't do a uh, um, a biography for someone. I just won't do it because your whole feeling is emasculated, the whole character is emasculated by lawyers and things standing over you and and, uh, PR men and and the whole I just won't do it. Unauthorised only for me and that's all. All of them have been unauthorised. Some of them have been dead so I didn't have to get their authority. (laughs) But uh, all the others have been alive and so so the other thing is I have... Just to, so it's my own agenda. So I want—I want to be turned on by the book. You can all think of pe- things that you want to write about, and mm. it might be um, needlepoint. Mm-hmm. Don't laugh, because my, no. one of my one of my um, not my great skills, but one mm. of my axioms is uh, there are no dull topics, only dull writers.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> listen, to all academics out there, <laughs> listen hard. Uh, so. Those are the sources, my own agenda, a couple, and a couple of times I've been thrown a book, not by a publisher, the idea, I should say, uh, and it's been terrific, and this was one of them. Celeste was one of them. That oh, was it's, it's just One of my best mates book. was Tim Burstall, film director, mm. and in 19... I reckon 1990, it might have been earlier, he said, I can't get this up as a movie role, and would you like to have it as well, a book? Well, not yet.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I know and he's in a
0: better place, so, you
1: know. Yeah, yeah, no, he's all right. And Tim... Um, Tim was very gracious that way, but the point is that when someone with his intellect, and I did not meet a brighter all-round soul in Australia, it um, was one of the reasons I thought if, when I came back I'd been living in England 12 years, I said if I only meet the Tim Burstall. He was a bit of a rogue, not everyone loved him, it's split down the middle, men and women, and he was a rogue, but he was a, had a wonderful mind. But that's part kind of the attraction. That's oh, it's just the mind was fantastic. And he, went I thought oh, I'll have a good look at this if Tim says it's worthy, and when I did the research, put a proposal. I thought it was worthy
0: because it does sound like it, at points it was laborious because there was so much information to plough through. No, no, not really. However, no, no you, the, the no. time factor. You, you enjoyed all that.
1: Yeah, well, the, the thing is that had I written it when he gave it to me, it wouldn't have. I just wasn't equipped. It would have been my first biography. It okay. was overwhelming. Right. And it's not the reason I didn't try to get, a, I did try to get a publisher nine years later with it um, in France and the agent, as you're reading the book, in the acknowledgements, uh, the whole idea. Mm. Um, fair enough, you know, your injections are part of the business and it, it was But you had a
0: sign, Roland, didn't you? I was reading. There oh, was yeah, a, yeah, that yeah. I really had It was a providential moment. Yes, yes it yes, was wonderful. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Yes. Well, what happened was it's a it's a lovely tale. I've I've lived on it because it really got into my got under my skin at the time. That's why <laughs> you remember these little slights. You do. Things. You do. No. What happened was I went to this agent who'd sold me to the French market with another book early on in the career, a few years earlier. And uh, she I must excuse the French on this. She wasn't French, she was American, but she'd been living there 40 years, and she was a bit snotty. Okay.
0: She was a bit <laughs> snotty.
1: So I love her for getting me sold in before, but I wasn't happy about this moment. So I went to her apartment office in a beautiful place next to the Eiffel Tower apartment, and she would had a look at it. I sent it the post, and she said, look, the Bella period has been done to death, and who cares about um, the Wild West of Australia? Okay. And I had no answer to that because I didn't even know it was called the bellapoc As it turned out, it's not the bellapoc She got that oh, wrong. No, the bellapoc was 1890 to 1910. Really, have you let her
0: know
1: that? Oh, it's a bit <laughs> late. It's a, bit, it's a bit late for revenge. <laughs> time is the revenge on this. <laughs> I
0: believe living well is the best revenge. Yeah, yeah, it's it true.
1: <laughs> no, time is the revenge because I was determined to do it. You know, no amount of publishers, you see. To be brutal, I would back my judgement against any publisher I've ever met, how's that for, for arrogance? But I would. Uh, it no, doesn't mean I'm right, perhaps it's but I back my judgement, I back <laughs> yeah. my judgement. And people, I have close friends who I present books to who will say yes or no, and I don't, you know, they're friends, so I don't begrudge them and it's, it's a moment of, you know, silly old bitch or silly old bath and, uh, half a second You don't and and put I money get... in the swear jar for Samuel Johnson, <laughs> yeah. <end> of his <laughs> yes. sister. Yeah, but it's um, uh, it's it's you you have to have that confidence, and you gain confidence. I've done sixteen biography, Well, no one else has done that, no unless one. they really, uh, the publisher really knows what they're talking about. They're going to have a uh, difficult to put me down on a very strong subject. Mm-hmm. And and they, you know, there's one terrific publisher I have who, you know, she's like a brick wall. To get <laughs> <laughs> we often laugh over it. You know, I said I'm not even going to bother scaling this wall with you. So you're a you well man, <laughs> Uh, look, another one, uh, this happens in the publishing world. One, I put up a proposal about six years ago for a book, and the publisher, the publisher, remained, they all remained famous because some of them were good friends. And I, he, went, I went He asked to said, said, oh, oh no, he said, i they're going to sell <laughs> 20,000, and you want a lot more than that, and we can't pay you all that much, and blah, 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 they're going to sell 20,000 copies. And I thought, oh, okay, that's a bit rough. I thought it would do more than he It's not well known enough. What they do now, even if they're very intellectual publishers, they all go to the marketing people, and the marketing people say, I've never heard of them. Film on it or, well, know, isn't it all about profiles?
0: And it's salespeople, it? and
1: they don't they don't think or read. A lot of them. Now, that's abusive to those who do. I'm sorry out there, but, but the salespeople normally, uh, they're not that interested in the intellectual content the content of it. And don't they read? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Publishers don't read. It's no. oh,
0: really?
1: okay. Not many. No, no, they farm them out and get a, a view on it. It's it's a big... A lot of them are big factories now, and mm, that's the way it is. Well, it's... I don't get... Nasty about it because it's just part of the way it's developed, and the salespeople have sort of taken over. What happens is, uh, if a publisher gets a bright idea and goes through with it and it fails, all the salespeople are disgruntled and all the retailers won't take this, and it's a chain reaction of negativity. Hmm. There's the old style publisher who said, I'm publishing Elizabeth's book because it's magnificent, I don't care about anything else. Thank you, yes. They're not, uh, <laughs> they're not there anymore, oh. they're all battered down. I've known publishers who've been like that very. Very single-minded and good mm. uh, about their about their choices. Why
0: has that changed? What has the marketing been has
1: just killed it? I mean, uh, if you think when I was first published, I think it, in in seventy nine, um, there'd be a thousand times more books being published today than there what were there. Yeah. And someone said to me even then, oh, there's hundreds more being published than sixty nine. You know, mm. so now it's narrowed down, and it's just a you know it's just a great massive books being churned out. A lot of it rubbish, of course, and a lot of it just very single-minded, market-directed work. And look, if I was a publisher, I thought about this often. I would hire a couple of writers who are known for big-selling books, but aren't good writers, but they're known because of their personality. You do that to generate money to give the good writers a chance. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with the market in that respect.
0: Mm.
1: But you're battling that all the time. Mm. You go in, no matter what your reputation, sales record, they've never heard of, say Monash, uh, that sold very well, and I came out of the blue with that. The publisher, on the basis of my cricket books selling, before that she'd been publishing cricket books, I'd done lots before that, but this particular publisher said, we'll back your judgement on it, and it was, there was no reason to do Monash. there was no particular issue, mm. 2004, that's just one example. Yep. But you've got to push your idea forward, it's, it's an intellectual battle at one point, mm. but if you don't get in front of the people and the salespeople make the, the decision, you don't get a run. Do, do
0: you think uh, with all the e-books now and mm. the moved
1: to online, it's in a way easier to get your work out there? Well, I don't, I'm sort of established with the old school, and I do, everything is e, you know, trending e-way, but it's still not a huge percent of your returns. I'd say five to 10% of what I earn is e at the moment. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure it's trending so heavily people are swinging back to the old... Sorry, when old I say,
0: and well, I'll just qualify that, when I say yeah. your work, I mean as in new writers, you know, if, if you, were, if publishers aren't particularly interested in you, is that one way
1: to go? Oh, self-publish firstly with it, you mean, mm-hmm. put it up there. Yeah. Well, I think it is. Uh, you, you can, but if everyone's thinking that way, then there'll be more writers than readers. Mm-hmm.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. what... Happens in a publishing house is a function, an editing function, which keeps the work readable. Mm. And most people don't know how to write when they start. There yeah. are a few naturals, that even the naturals, and there are very few of them, very few of them. And there's no background that gives you an advantage over others. I mm-hmm. mean, I think of Graham Greene came out of journalism. Lukács came out of the Foreign Office. He's elliptical in his style. He came out of it. He mm-hmm. was a spy, so he writes mm-hmm. accordingly. He's elliptical in his work, and and and. and Biographical detail is almost diffuse, and part of the narrative—it's complicated in that way. Uh, So there are no rules, but if you don't have an editor saying, "Well, chum, that's very nice to be wonderfully esoteric," but I don't know what you're talking about—and that's where academics fail in this country miserably, Mm -hmm. because they peer review. They don't. You don't have to. To get a PhD, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be in the public domain, Mm -hmm. dirty, unwashed. (laughs) They read. You know, it was, you know, they might be very bright, but they're dirty and they're unwashed and you cannot, we're not going to have, academics say, we're not going to have those idiots uh, judge my work. No, they won't buy my work, I'm superior.
0: Well, there's nothing like a good judge. And, and you
1: see, it? that that's what I mean. They get peer-reviewed and what you've got now is a third-rate standard of academic work coming out. I have to say that, okay. third-rate. The French don't do that, it's not peer-reviewed. You have to uh, publish in the public domain, in other words, get a publisher and have the great unwashed read you mm. and buy you and understand mm. it. The same in England and in the US. Mm. It's just, there's just no, there's no way that... So pe- when you peer review, that means yes. I get Elizabeth's work and I know Elizabeth well and I'm going to give her a lovely review. I can't understand a word she said. <laughs> She's a bloody awful writer. And then your review mine you say, it's a terrible book. I oh like no, it, but I'm, I'm going to give said it, it a more. No, I mean, it's peer <laughs> review. I'm talking about with a couple of academics No, So, peer review is taken, robbed the nation of two or three generations of real work because they so learn she's... oh, that stuff. You don't understand that esoteric paragraph, that esoteric chapter. You don't know why I've put in 2,000 words of a quote instead of one line. Um, so you know, all the ego stroking you think
0: is ruining the industry, is it? Oh, oh pathetically. Yeah.
1: yes, it's sad. And look, they're on their cosy little incomes and they don't care as long as they're, they're published, it's part of the deal. Okay, okay. And they get, they get lots of university grants from within the university too. Okay.
0: They're never tested said,
1: yeah. in the... The, uh, the real test is out there, it's bums on seats, it's bums in front right. of books. Right. And in the end, that's it. And if that fails, and I never, I've never applied for a literary grant. I'm, I'm the only professional writer who can say that in this country. Never, ever applied for a grant.
0: Wow.
1: I've applied for prizes if they've been put up to me and mm. so forth, if you've mm. had to write something down. Mm. But never a literary grant from the government. And that's because I think you've got to earn it. I know mean, that's brutal. I, I re- like. and
0: I want to get back to when you cool. ...knew that you wanted to be a writer, what was, what was that?
1: I was on the newspaper and I was um, <laughs> not meaning to, it was going to be a passing point to being a stockbroker of all things, <laughs> had no interest whatsoever you worship, but I really enjoyed working on the age. And I was in the business section, I thought I'd be there for a while, and there was a, an editor called Les Carline who's uh, written a couple of fine books, one called The Great War, another one called Gallipoli. And he was my editor, he was pretty tough, but he was really a wordsmith and love the language and he would look at your work and say, good, bad or ugly, but every now and again he'd say, that's good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I began to do, sort of, um, even within the business section and other sections, I began to do interviews with characters and so on, and so I got a little bit of a touch of what it was to develop it Was about half a percent of the way you, that you needed. I didn't know that at the time, and I used to listen to all the other journalists who were, gonna, who were gunners. They were going to write the great book and. Uh, and then one or two were saying well, I'm getting married next year and I'm going to have to stay on the paper and I can't write the book and I'm joining a PR company in the oil industry and I can't write that book and everyone's talking about writing books and mm. no one was doing it. Mm. I went and lived in England and, um, and had a crack. Mm. And uh, I, I was reasonably gifted in the language, I wasn't necessarily gifted as a writer and I developed, I worked awfully hard. I was probably behind the eight ball a long way compared to, say, you know, established writers. And I worked very, very hard and wanted to do it badly. Redrafting, it's called. (laughs) Reworking and redrafting. Look, in those days, if you did four drafts of a book, a draft was throw the book, the manuscript, in the rubbish bin and start again without looking at it. (laughs) That's a draft. (laughs) Uh, William (laughs) Goldsmith, Goldman, oh, I think, yeah who wrote the Magus and other books and got the Nobel Prize, I think, he wrote 14 drafts, which is insanity. Lucario, who's I think the most gifted writer of of the last half century, um, uh, wrote six drafts. Mm. And I was brain dead after four or five, it really kills you. Mm. Now there's the computer, the technology allows you to play a bit more, but in the end, you have to really go through it and say, is it worthy, you know, does it work here, is that character... What skills do
0: you need for that role? What do you need other than tenacity?
1: Oh, you you, you learn because (laughs) editors say, do you really need that character? Or I like this character who you should flesh out. I'm talking fiction a bit now, Mm -hmm. but it may apply to non-fiction as well. So that's where an editor comes in. Most people, as I say, who get up on the blogosphere and think they can write, well, you see the standard of English slipping enormously because they're sloppy. Mm. and there's no... Um, I've seen some journalists do it, think oh, I've got to be cool now and be in the yeah. blogosphere, uh, you know, who are trained to write. Mm. And um, it's weak. So you need good... E- publishers need... all book publishers need good, pub- good editors. If I was publishing myself, I would, get, I would hire an editor to for the work and I've got 30 books on the board and I know what to do. Mm. The difference is that there's no... there's not that... there's not that much difference in the, in the skill level It's knowing what to do when you get to the end of the first draft. I know what to do, whether it be fiction or non fiction. Mm -hmm. If you've not been through it, you don't know what to do. You think, oh, is this good or is this bad? Am I kidding myself? Mm -hmm. Narcissists, of course, can't be told. There are a few of them writing books. (laughs) And and God, I was reading one the weekend. I'll remain nameless, but it's the King Without (laughs) Any Clothes. He's not sold a, a thousand books in his life as bloke in, in, in one edition. I'm not being mean, I don't even don't know him very well, but I know of his book sales and the publishers all bitch about it and the retailers hate him. Because he keeps getting published and he sells <laughs> 800 copies, you know. <laughs> okay. He's done about 30 books and uh, the reviewers all love him and they say, oh, it's just the most best book," and it doesn't sell.
0: Oh,
1: it's like a cricketer who's sure. got the best strokes, yeah, plays great games for the district mm. team, gets in the test team <coughs> state test team and goes out for a duck cuz he just folds okay
0: okay who mm-hmm. or what is your major source of
1: support when you're writing like oh well i have income so that's my support
0: yeah. no writers
1: should be on their own there's no it's not like working in an office it's not like having a technical assistant <laughs> you can talk to and have a lunch afterwards you're really on your own you have just got to block out your mind i'm a natural extrovert I've learnt and trained... I have noticed parents. it, wrong. Yes. Well, that's part of... There's an excuse for that. The part of the thing is that I've, I didn't realise, but you have to be a real introvert to write. I mean, there's no way around it. You don't... Um, you've just got to block out that time on your own and write. Mm. And when you don't have the confidence when you start off or you're dreaming and you think, I'm only dreaming, I'll never have a career in this, that sort of thing, it's very difficult because you don't know where you're going with it. But you, you, if you... I mean, Lucare, for example... Married his editor, that helped. A publisher. He
0: <laughs> that suddenly was a took. That he suddenly. A to move, he suddenly it? took off. Did they stay together then? Yeah, there was his yeah. second wife. He, oh, okay. Yeah. I think
1: I oh, better not say okay. too much. I'm reading really this oh. biography at the moment. But well, we'll look, move on uh, that, you you have to you have to wear. Live, you've got to like being with you. Doesn't mean you, you know, have to be in love, love with something. you <laughs> or enough. <a narcissist. laughs> it means you've got to like being. Enjoy with you. Enjoy your own company, indeed. And I have little friends. I, I have little fine. friends. I have the television on. I can do. I can work with the television on in the background okay. because, as long as it's not too intrusive, or football, or something mm-hmm. I want to watch every second of, oh, I can have music and I can have lots of little things bit in of the background. background. Yeah, Trained in a newspaper helped because it's just absolutely chaos around you all the Is time. Okay. Well, it was when I was there. Right. So you learned. You just had to deliver while I was stuck in to zone that zone? Yeah, to got to zone. True. So you, you asked the a question. There's no support whatsoever, and if you're relying on that. From a muse, or a wife, or a partner, it's, you're in it's,
0: trouble. It,
1: you're not going to make it. <laughs> okay. Not going to make now, it. Now,
0: Ryan, you've had wonderful success throughout your life. What does being successful mean to you?
1: It means living uh, and doing and living and doing things that I want to do.
0: And what would they be? Like like the, or the, or no, it's, it's, Knowledge. It's,
1: it's the whole thing. Is if you love your work, <laughs> that's the reward. That's my success. That if you love your work and you're living the by it, over
0: many years now.
1: The half a century approaching, I mean the first on, on the age in 69. Your age
0: lists are on, stop worrying about it. I know, I was
1: on the age at 69, <laughs> so 2019 is coming up. Three years i have been, 50 years in the business, books since 79. Right. That'll be 40 years. And I started before that, but the first book, uh, three years, four drafts, 30 rejections, both sides of the Atlantic. I went through it. You've got to learn to wear that and learn from what they say, if they say anything, and that gives you clues on what you have to do, and redrafting and learning is part of it. If you can't take a rejection, it's not the business to be what in. What
0: keeps you going? Cause, um, uh, they, they the dream of to... living
1: off it. The, the, mm. I used to say I'll write the biography called Buying mm. Time because I had to buy time to get the book done. I have all the time now. I, I focus on the books first and everything else second now. So uh, that kept me going. That, that really was the drive. And it, look, to have that life and to do... I was born to do it because I have enjoyed it so much and mm. I wanted the challenges of more books. And, and I still have an software? agenda. You know, It's an agenda I have. It's not a matter of just writing to you've slumped over the typewriter. Uh, sometimes books pop in from left field, but mm. I know what I want to do for the next 20 books, and that's it's vaguely... Very, very focused. Well, you, you, you know where you want to go with certain kind of mm. books, and it's not... I jump around the genres, but it's, as I said before at the beginning, it's what, you know, doing, writing about things you're really passionate about or mm. interested in. Okay.
0: When I first read Celeste, mm. I was filled with admiration for this amazing woman who is such an inspiration.
1: We didn't talk much about her early on, did we? I got sidetracked, but, but that's Okay, because yeah. we can talk about her now. Yeah.
0: Can you liken her to a modern day woman you know and love? Oh, and you can God, keep an anonymous I don't anonymous think. I don't so think, I don't think no, no, so I'll
1: say who are. it is, but no. if Mary hears this, make me understand that she's, make you understand in the audience that she's never been a courtesan. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> no, but she, yeah, th- this is our probably, arguably, and I'm a bit biased because I know that I've worked with her, I know how absolutely brilliant this woman is. Okay. Her name is Mary Finsterer, F I N. S T R E R. She's now chair of uh, the faculty, uh, the, the, the the chair of music composition, I think, at Monash, mm-hmm. um, wow. and was a fellow with me out there. But I knew her a long time before that. She is the most creative operatic composer or composer we have in this mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. and not appreciated necessarily all the time, for, you know, because she's a woman and has to fight through the uh, barrier. Okay. But I admire her. Well, you see. You know, she's got one of my best, one of our very good friends, her husband. So I'm close to both of them. They've got two kids, and they're doing all the family thing. Lovely. He's a photographer, come um, visual specialist. He's very good at his work, creative as well. So they've got two creatives trying sure. to get through in middle class Melbourne, and she's got all that going. But she's a natural. She's brilliant, and if she. Was able to have the time I spent on my books, she would just be a rocket to the top. But it's much mm-hmm. harder for an operatic composer to make it. You know, mm-hmm. where do they get the income for that? It's it's not conventional. It's like being an actor. It's very very hard yes. to be top line, and she's top line and I'd say a genius. She doesn't even know it herself. And genius often don't So I admire have you her pluck. That? I have in as many words, but I I haven't trailed it on for her. She knows that so I appreciate her work mm-hmm. and she'll be a huge name in the next decade. I'm certain of that. But it's been such a struggle. It reminds me of Celeste because the question you ask, um, someone uber talented, I think more talented to begin with than say Celeste, but Celeste learned. If you mm. read the biography, you'll see as I did, you yes. learn to write you don't just, it doesn't flow out of the little fingers, it doesn't, it just doesn't happen that way, you have to work at it and and hone it and all that, so Mary Fincher is the one and she's Mm -hmm. an operatic composer Mm she certainly was never a courtesan. She's very attractive, I must say. <laughs> I must say, a lot of my mates surprise me because I see her as a good friend, you know. Yeah, and, sure. and they say things, "Oh, you know, she's looking all right." <laughs> I, I've done a couple of things at Monash with big productions, right? Yeah, with big audiences and people yeah. come along saying, oh, yeah, her? and all. I'm be... thinking, you mean Mary? And they're going, "Yes." And I tell Mary, and she, she just doesn't. I mean, she's so inside of and into a family. You, you know, it could be
0: exactly.
1: It could be. Um, Barack Obama saying the most beautiful thing, and she'd say, oh, did he? And then get on with the work. <laughs> it <laughs> also like, depends uh, on the filter with, with which you look
0: through life, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but
1: I think that when someone gets up on stage like that, it conducts and it's her music and she's, or, mm. uh, I could show you one of the one of the performances we, we did and I oh, to had to narrate it. and she did the music and, drink, and things like organising. Um, a, a small ensemble two days she had two days of practice mm. with an ensemble she'd never met mm. and the music is absolutely brilliant and things like just, mm. I'll give you an idea of the genius so Chopin can be a little bit drippy mm. the, you know if you're talking uh, in the time some of the stuff is just just not for the current audience mm. and I said to him you know that Chopin piece we're going to do is a little bit awful it's it's, it's something not there it doesn't, doesn't pulsate I, I was trying to articulate said, Oh yeah, I'll fix that. So hmm. she went in and rewrote Chopin and not one expert in the audience ever said anything hmm. about it. And she said, you How do you like it? it? And I said, You've made it live and I said, you know, she just that was part of her struggle. It she sounds like there's oh, certainly she, genius. She's a genius. genius. She needs full time. She's I think all biographically she's having come out anyway. This, oh, so we you see you asked uh, the question. Yeah
0: I did, and thank you for, for that information and let's play that. And I've she helped <laughs> I've done what I could friend.
1: to help her career too. I've done my right because I realise that talent needs the nurturing. You often find creatives are, it's an an emasculating, it's it's an enfeebling thing often, Hmm. because you're really wanting to do the art side of it, whether you're a painter, an actor, a writer, a composer. And really, you're not built for this world, you're built for making that art. So Hmm. if someone wants you to do a business deal or... Hmm. You know, she wants to sell something. I don't know if it's an example, or he or she—they're a bit weak at it because they're not. They're, they're, they're focused on other things.
0: Now, we see it time and time again that women are denigrated often due to their strength and fortitude.
1: Yeah.
0: What do you think it is that makes some people feel so intimidated by strong women?
1: Well, I really can't answer that because I have never been. I've I had a strong—I oh, had a not a, not a tough mother, but a, a bright one who. Um, I respected and liked, mm. and I had a really intelligent sister. All the deals that have been made on my book, I'd say, on my books, I'd say seventy percent have been dictated by women through my career. It's, mm. a, it's very much a women's business now, particularly uh, judgments on my work. And I worked on a newspaper where the women were equal at the journalistic level. They were not equal at the at, they were equal at the pay level. I would think because there was, you know, A, B, C, D grade, right? Mm-hmm. So you... But the management was all male. Right. <laughs> so they ne- didn't necessarily get the plum jobs. I'm not... I don't know mm. for sure, but I think so. I was there with Michelle Gratton and people like that. I don't mm-hmm. think Michelle was ever held back because of her sex. So the paper was hierarchically male, but... and publishing is hierarchically female now, uh, dominated, well, thinking part of it. I mean, even within the film industry, the dimwitted producers and things throw the manuscript or the, the script to the, to the secretary, the female, to see whether he's interested in it. You oh, know, that's oh yeah, I have. I've, I've heard that often. No worry, <laughs> the blokes don't read the script. The women throw the because they understand character. You know, that sort of stuff. So I've never, never really come across it that much. I mean, I, that sounds like a very isolated world. I've, of course, I realise there are pay deferentials and stuff like that, but I've never been, never felt. Um, an insecurity around women. And you tell me was, you love women, or? Uh Yes. <laughs> I don't think I'm a misogynist, let's put it that way. <laughs> I do like the company of women. Let's uh, say in conversation, I have many blokes around the world who are good mates and I enjoy their company. But with women I can really have a conversation with who can communicate. There's a yin and a yang on character and things, which as a writer oh, I'm drawing on. Mm. Even though I won't say I'm going to go and take a note on what Elizabeth said before, or, or you know what the girlfriend said before, but it sticks in there. Oh, that's the female view of it, and women have a sixth sense as well. Men don't have about character, okay. and therefore, that if you're wanting to develop as a character writer, you you, you have to you have to indulge all that and learn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not you don't take notes. You don't go and I don't. You don't go and do a psychology course. I think that's that's an intellectual failure. That you'd go and do a course to learn about people. I mean, you've got to understand people yourself sure. and be able to do that. So, women in my life offer that. You know, discussion mm. and communication and um, and all that. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. And it sounds like you
1: totally appreciate them too, which is wonderful. Well, it does sound like cats or dogs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> part of life.
0: <laughs> I do you. like. I
1: do like. Beauty, uh, but not conventional beauty. I'm not a modelly type guy. I don't oh, like models. It. I mean,
0: so I like Ivana. One. I like
1: the look of Ivana Trump or whatever right. her name is, is the, the wife. Yeah. But uh, and I think she's charming. Mm. Uh, but that's not what I'm attracted to. I'm attracted so, to so to who, me. other than your well, it's a, physical who, it's a
0: who,
1: physical. who do you consider a stunning looking woman, beautiful? Oh, oh well. I, I don't look upon her, I just think she's a beautiful character who is attractive. Sure. I don't, yeah, no, no. you know, by the, punch who doesn't buy a that. Who perhaps my listeners may know, who is a
0: woman oh, that, that you... Gee, think
1: that's why? so hard.
0: We can come back to that Because I, I
1: don't even look at it that way. I mean, there's an actress that's being put up, for example, it's a very conventional blonde bombshell being put up for a, a movie. I've sold the rights to somebody, right? I don't want to be too definitive about okay, it. sure. And I have another actress um, who is perfect for the part, right. who is not as stunning but is attractive yes. and is right for the part. Mm-hmm. But this is, goes back to the market dealing. Mm-hmm. The publisher won't even... I mean, I haven't put her up. I'm a co-producer. I, I may at some stage put this female in front of them. Okay. But they won't get the, the blonde bombshell because she's going to cost too much. But my idea of the right part is a better actress and the, and the better part. And she's not a stunner, she's just interesting looking and can act. Well,
0: that's good. And she's
1: good looking, but mm. it's not a conventional... Mm. I can't think of a. Yeah, I'm not going to say any names because that'll give things away. But anyway, <laughs> got... I'm sounding a bit elliptical myself now. But, you know, that's... Um, I can't... I'll tell you who it's yeah. interesting. I, I did a, a, a book on um, uh, Keith Miller the great, uh, called yes. Miller's Luck. And he had an affair with Princess Margaret when she was 16. She started the affair. He was married in 28, right? That's all in the book. And I had to look through the photographs of her and her sister to choose a photograph and her sister being the current queen. Yes. And this is my idea of physical beauty, which sort of comes into vogue. I thought the queen, when she was younger, was actually more interesting looking than her sister, who was the glamour puss who mixed with Hollywood. Now the Queen had a big mouth which was unfashionable. Then, right, oh, okay. She had a really large mouth. And, 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 and I'm in it's, trouble. It's, well, <laughs> hear me out. And Hollywood said that you have to, um, yeah. the classic example was Jane Fonda. Yes. She was flat-chested and they said, you've got to have boobs. You're not going to get them even Henry Henry's your father. You, no. You've got to have boobs. So she said, okay. alright, I'll have boobs. They said we're going to knock your back teeth out. It's all in her biography, by the way. Oh, brutal! My goodness. Back okay. teeth are going to be removed so that you pull the mouth in, so it's tight and small. That was a doll, you know. Right. Okay.
0: Well, I wish i had a of you looking at like
1: that. And and then you look at the queen, the queen and yeah. her sister, and they've both got. The queen's got a bigger mouth. Her mouth now would be really sensual and and attractive. And I thought they were both I thought. The, I like big mouths then. <laughs> I was very, un, I was very <laughs> unconventional, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, did. And you know the lips and everything. Now the women go and put a million dollars worth of silicon <laughs> in their mouths. And mm. in Asia, the women naturally have the, the big sensual lips. That's what, I, that's how I look at the sensuality. I don't even, you know, that's a, an exaggerated example. But it was fashionable to have a small mouth and big breasts. And anyway, that's what the whole and that's why Jane Fonda went to live in Paris. Oh! oh she got out. She couldn't stand having her back teeth smashed.
0: Oh, but
1: if she can go through with that, mm-hmm. it? Little, you know, I took out these so yeah, I'd know.
0: like to move from Jane Fonda to your <laughs> book if you have time, because you yeah, are, yeah, you yeah, are yeah. going to lunch. Are We, are we still OK? 30. Would you like to share one of your favourite passages from Celeste?
1: Yes, he said, grabbing the book, Great. and. I do have to go to the first page, opening prologue chapter, Young Queen of the Demi-Monde. For those who are not aware, the Demi-Monde is sort of the underworld, half-world, the artistic world uh, that was really created in Paris, the Demi-Monde. Mm-hmm. So this is Celeste meeting her future husband um, and it's a very interesting moment. I think it's the seminal moment in her life, both their lives, mm. because they were really, you know, Built for each other, as it turned out. When Celeste Vernard strode into Paris's Cafe Anglaise in the winter of 1846 47, heads turned almost in unison to stare at this most celebrated beauty, the city of lights most sought after courtesan. The, The more discerning onlookers searched for imperfections but could find none in this 22 year old femme fatale. The popinjays at the cafe were struck by Celeste's sensual face, the large green eyes, her petite nose, full ruby lips and alabaster skin. Her light auburn hair was long and combed back over neat ears so as not to hide any of her exceptional features. Her full figure did not need the corset under the red dress, which only served to accentuate alluring proportions of lush breasts slim waist and rounded derriere. Celeste's long, slim arms, often noted as the most striking of her many physical features, were fully exposed. She undulated just short of a swivel to a table with her friend, Frisette, herself eye-catching but a mere shadow at this moment. (laughs) Celeste removed her bonnet and off-white shawl then ceremoniously slid off white gloves explode her slender fingers. The young men were nervous about approaching her, even though they were among the wealthiest members of France's aristocracy. Some were afraid because it took courage to accost her, despite the well-accepted fact that women entering the café were seeking paying paramours. Others knew her reputation for saying non, monsieur, merci, they feared her rejection beyond a drink or a meal. Such was Celeste's fame that this once low-level prostitute could pick and choose any man with whom she wished to take favours, no matter how wealthy or important. In an unusual situation, even for the well-known actresses of the era. But then she was more beautiful than Empress Eugenie, Napoleon III's Spanish wife, even Queen Victoria, who made a hobby of describing the appearances of notable she met thought so. It was said that the real princesses of France were the courtesans, ruled by conquest. But you've got to go through it all to show the abuse and how she was met. You so heard of, have when you, when
0: he, when they first see
1: each other... So, so she's actually having a slanging match with some of the, the men in the uh, cafe, because that's part of the game, but she's giving as good as she got, which is all in the story. but. Uh, at one point, one of the dandies said, "Because he's upset that she's given him back as much as she's been given," Excellent. he goes. "Who brought this whore to the party?" Mm. One of her tormentors asked with a vicious glare of defeat. Frazette wanted to leave, but Game Celeste refused. At this moment, a dashing dark-haired man intervened and demanded reparations for the main offen- from the man defender for his unpleasant remarks. Celeste had never seen the man before. There was something intriguing about him. He had none of the effete accoutrements of the dandies, nor their patronising manner which exposed insecurities. He was chivalrous and clearly an aristocrat. In fact, he was the 25-year-old Count Lionel de Chabalin, the only man who could possibly take Celeste away from her in the Pretorius past. Would he be her first true love? At last, help her forget her miserable childhood.
0: Oh,
1: beautifully written. Mm. It was a lovely, yeah, it's a lovely story to write, and I had a bit of help from her from the memoirs. Mm. but not, not those bits. You have to draw them out yourself.
0: Perhaps she was looking over your shoulder too, do you? you never
1: know. Well, if you believe in all that, it's definitely odd that I've been bullied and pushed by myself into all this book. And that moment on the, uh, I didn't tell you the moment on the, on the Paris underground after that rejection, there was a, a mm. big ad for the La Cage à at the Mogador Theatre. Mm. That was in the mm. underground and I was, I'd left that. That's what I was referring to
0: earlier. Mm. Mm. Mm, that I'd sign. that agent
1: had reject, rejected the idea.
0: Mm.
1: And it was for Mogador, which was her stage name.
0: Mm, Mogador. Right. And I thought, I've got to go
1: on with this. And I was a bit uh, gritty teeth at that moment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, if, if we look, we have our uh, eyes open and I believe there are signs. Do you have a blog where my listeners can find out more about yes, you? Yes, he said, reaching for me.
1: And it is rolandperry.com.au. Excellent.
0: That's the website. But one last question, and Ron, this is a signature question I ask all my guests. Oh yes, yes, yes. yes. What do you wish for, for mm. the world, and most importantly for yourself?
1: Well, I'll start with me first because I'm more important yes. uh, than the world, uh, in my idea, and in my little world I am. Um, I want another 30 years of healthy productivity in work and I want to see most of the really good narratives into movies. For the rest of the world I have no hope whatsoever, I think we're, we're doomed and that about sums it up. So I have very little hope for the planet, so I have to have hope for myself.
0: Well, I'm very pleased you have hoped for yourself, and I do hope that you're going for the next And I'm not asking too. for world peace like most <laughs> of the <laughs> <people. laughs> well, world. what Miss Uniport is this?
1: You're not going to get it, honey, in your lifetime or your children's.
0: <laughs> Professor Roland Perry, thank you so much for guesting on Writers' Teddy Tech, Elizabeth Harris. We look forward to more of your stunning work Thank over you very the next much. 30 years, sir.
1: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> thank you for tuning in, everyone, and may your wishes come true.